Never be the one that says no to yourself. Let other people say no to you. If you want to create something, don't be the one that steps in your own way. Do it. And then you'd be surprised how many people are okay with it and they like it. And if they're not, they're not. Welcome everybody to episode 30 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Ponyboy Paul. And Paul and Pals is a podcast where I interview my creative pals who are creating the life that they want to live. And my goal is to actually inspire you, but really myself, to get up and actually start creating the life that you want to live. And on this episode, I have a creative conversation with my pal Nikita Redcar. She's a stand-up comedian, actress, and screenwriter who's currently studying for her master's at the Met Film School in London. And being that she actually did this interview from London, this is my first international pal. And so basically, uh, Paul and Pals is pretty much global right now. So uh, I, I don't really know. Uh, what that means but on this episode we talk about how being international and growing up in multiple places like Austin, Singapore and Germany and the impact or non-impact it's had on her growing up and how while growing up she considered herself a very shy person but she discusses the moment that gave her the confidence to actually start doing stand-up and stand-up has brought her a lot of thrills it's actually very almost addicting, if you will, but it's also brought her a lot of failures, um, dealing with depression and at times even suicidal ideation. But she discusses how all of this has helped her realize that she shouldn't base all of her self-worth on the validation that she receives in comedy. Also, if you're interested in to know what I really took away from this conversation, you can actually subscribe to the Paul and Pals newsletter, link in show notes, to look at my response to this interview. But without any further ado, Let's get creative. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm really glad we're able to get this. I know it's been a little bit in the, in the making because yeah. at first, I've actually seen you a couple of times because um, Aparna, our mutual friend that connected us, she's posted you a couple of times and I think she's even shared maybe footage or pictures at one of your, you know, Probably. stand-ups. Yeah. And one she's day I just saw you. Shout out. Very supportive. In <laughs> fact, she actually told me that I have to refer to her as your talent scout. So first of all, shout out to Aparna. Shout out. Uh, for linking us up. She is your talent scout. <laughs> I have to give her some commission. <laughs> no. But um, I was going to say that I, I, <laughs> I saw her on... I think she posted you, you were in New York and I saw her post you and then like, like a really quick, funny clip, you know, and I, and I went to your page, I checked you out and then I saw some of your TikTok and it was really funny. So I'm like, you know Thank what, you. I feel like she'll be really good. No Thank problem. You. And so I just yeah. wanted to reach out and, you know, just kind of know more about you, see what you're doing now. And I feel like just really, just really share your story. Cool. Um, and the, the first thing I, I do want to congratulate you on, you're actually the first international guest I've ever had so basically yeah yeah so basically we're we're global now you know we're global and that's why our times were crazy to me because you sent me that email and you were like 12 a.m 1 a.m 2 a.m pick a time (laughs) and I'm like what is wrong with this guy does he not have any other free time I'm like the ass crack of morning I felt so bad can I swear (laughs) No, you you can, you can. Okay. I, I felt so bad because it wasn't it wasn't until you told me that that I'm like, oh snap! I didn't even think yeah. about the time zone difference and what I had put available. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit! You're like 12 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it, it worked out. I'm glad. And uh, speaking about international, I know you've been kind of all over the world. Like, 
Austin, uh, Singapore, Germany, China, yeah. what? And now you're living in London. And uh, I don't know if I missed any, but kind of like just to start off, no, where, which of those places do you feel like really made the most impact on you kind of growing up? Um, All of them and none of them, which may not be the answer you want to hear, but it's like hard to pick one spot because all of them were in involved in like a formative time of my life so like I grew up in Singapore I was there at, like age 6 to 16 and then I came back to Texas and uh, then I was in Germany for like a bit of my early 20s actually I would say the least impactful was probably China because I was a baby and I don't remember it so <laughs> the rest of them you know they influenced me in their own ways and yeah it's I, it's it's a hard question to pick like a favorite spot because they were all amazing no. and chaotic at the same time. No, I think that answer is a little bit more insightful because what I take from that is like, you know, they all had their own influence on you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kind of like when we're growing up, you mentioned formative years. Yeah. Were you having to deal with a lot of like, who am I? Like what represents me? You know, a lot of probably friend turnover. See, yes, there was a lot of friend turnover because all of my friends were uh, international school friends because I went to an international school. And basically everyone's parents was there on an expat assignment. So their company sent them to Singapore for two or three years. And then after your assignment is done, come back to your home country. So just as I would start to get really close to someone, they would move. So that kind of you know, made me a bit of a commitment phobe. <laughs> At least I have a reason, <laughs> yeah. you know? But yeah. yeah, so there was definitely a lot of that kind of going on. And then um, what was the first part of your question? I was going to say, like, it felt like to me, did you ever have to struggle never, with yeah. uh, who am I or what represents oh, me? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of uh, people, whether they have spent their whole life in a place or not especially like children of immigrants have that identity crisis Mm. of um you know being american versus being from their parents land i mean there's a lot of stuff that you are taught to do as growing up and a lot of stuff you feel like you're supposed to do and a lot of individuality that you're discovering along the way so that striking that balance is like really tricky yeah no i i definitely relate to that because i i can't America when I was um, like five from Nigeria. And one thing I used to struggle with because, um, uh, so my ethnic tribe is Yoruba. So there's a language, there's a a whole community of it, right? And I know when I came to America, I wanted to fit in so bad and like Mm -hmm. understand the lingo and how to use English correctly and different slang. And then sometimes my parents would be like, you know, we want you to speak this language at home or like, you know, I I was kind of going back and forth. So it's sometimes it is kind of hard as an immigrant to figure out like, Oh, how do I fit in, but also still keep that culture? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're Indian. Do you feel like you grew up in a traditional Indian household where it is very cultural? Or did your parents also have to adjust with the locations that you guys were growing up in as well? Yeah, it definitely wasn't traditional. If anything, we were the family that was being judged by the traditional Indian families for being too crazy and too chaotic with our lives and too unpredictable because we were moving around so much and my parents also have faced that adjustment too like when it comes to friends and just taxes in different countries and culture and like learning the language and all that stuff so they've also had their 
fair share of uh, identity crises along with me. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I noticed that you um, you and your mom, you guys did a podcast together. And first of all, yeah. I got to say that podcast idea of bringing parents on is actually really cool to kind of see you yeah. know, where that, where that um, you know, where you get it from your parents. Right. And yeah. for you, what do you think that you really get from uh, your mom? Whew. You know, this is so funny because we played a game the other day, me, my parents and my sister and me and my sister had a lot of stuff in common and my sister and my dad had a lot of stuff in common. But when we were thinking about our mom, we were like, holy shit like we have a lot of the stuff we have in common is like the less goofy and quirky stuff you know like my sister and my dad are both like sticklers for schedule you know they're the type that if you have a flight at four in the morning you want to be woken up by them because they're so aggressive (laughs) about schedule but my mom and I a lot of our similarities are like emotional you know like both of us are people who need to, for example, if something is bothering us, we need to complain about it. Like we're not fixers. We're first complainers and then we're going to fix it. So that really pisses off my dad because he's like very solution oriented. So he's like, okay, so this yeah. is how, you know, this is how you're going to solve that problem. And I'm like, I don't want to solve that problem. I want to whine about it and bitch about <laughs> it. Not now. Maybe tomorrow yeah. I'll solve it. But me, yeah, me and my yeah, mom are really yeah. similar that way. No, I, I can I can see her vibe because it's funny you say that because I felt she was just very quirky. You know, I was listening yeah, to her. I'm like, yeah, oh, I wonder what she yeah. thinks about this as, as y'all are getting oh the gosh. questions answered. That's yeah. Actually, our personalities are very similar in the way that we love to be social. We love to like host parties and just you mm-hmm. know be the belle of the ball. Gotcha. So when you were kind of getting into your career, because I know you know right now you comedian, actress, screenwriter. Um, but I guess at the beginning, when you were first kind of committing to any of that, was there like a, oh, I knew that's what I wanted to do? Or did you kind of go the natural, like, let me go find a degree, a major, and then that just came as an option? What initially pers- uh, pushed you in that route? Well, when I was 18, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted money. So I got into hey. finance. And then two years into finance, I was like, wow, I am incredibly bad at math. Why did I do this? But then I still wanted money. So I was like, okay, who makes the most money? Wall Street. Let's try to get into investment banking. So I took a couple of investment banking classes and ended up going on this like networking retreat to Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and like all those hotshot Wall Street companies. And I got there in New York and just, you know, after meeting with them, I was just like, this is so this is the worst. I, I don't connect with any yeah. of this. I don't like the culture. I'm bad at math. I'm worse at math than I realized after coming here and realizing what the qualifications are. And I was just in this um, like pit of despair in New York and wandering around the streets, just like literally so sad. And I didn't connect with anyone from my group because they were all loving it. They were like, yeah, this is my future. So um, I actually ended up meeting a friend in New York and um, he's a comedian, and that's how I got introduced to comedy because I, you know, went to some comedy shows with him, and I was like, oh, there are more fun ways to live. Mm-hmm. And then was it kind of like you went to that show and you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this? Or was it kind of like, oh, that's fun? What was that push that was like, oh, yeah, this, this is me? Well, I went to an open mic, which is a place where comedians try out their new material. 
while I was in New York and I went there as an audience member and people were so bad that I was like, oh, if they're doing it, then I can do it. You know, I just like really went in from it from an egotistical perspective. But then looking back at it now, open mics are where you try out your new stuff. So of course they were bad. It wasn't practice. And, you know, I sometimes think that uh, I'm funny. I don't think I'm comedian stand up funny because that's a whole different skill level. But like kind of growing up, were you always kind of like the class clown or like you always could make a joke out of anything? Not at all. Growing up, I was very shy, like clinically shy. Like I didn't have any friends. I barely talked. Like my parents would literally be like, does this girl talk? Like, does she have an issue? (laughs) She doesn't say anything. But then I was always witty in my humor. Like, I would write songs by myself and like change around the lyrics. I was obsessed with Weird Al when I was a kid. So I basically wrote like an album (laughs) of songs that, you know, were just funnier lyrics. And um, me and my sister also have like a really goofy sense of humor. So like the jokes I would crack with her and on her were really good. So like I knew I had it. Um, I've never been the more spontaneous type of funny. I've always been the more like, calculated witty funny that that's interesting because i would i would expect that you're kind of like you just always were i don't know not comedy per se but just always that wittiness com- uh comedic person in the room so how do you well, now, overcome your stage fright then okay yeah now but how do you overcome your stage fright because that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of pressure yeah um well when i was a kid i was really like I said, really shy and I had no friends and I always wanted friends and my goal in life was to be popular. So I just really studied the popular kids. Like, you know, what were they doing? They're funny. They're pretty. They're um, sociable. They're outgoing. And just like really study that behavior for a few years. And then by the time I got to high school, I started getting a lot of friends and boyfriends and like kind of a status, you know, and that was all like, yeah. You know, I I don't say I don't want to say manufactured, but it was something that I worked towards. So I was never the type of person mm-hmm. that was like, oh, I don't have that personality trait. This is not for me because I literally got over mm-hmm. my shyness by just working at it. Got you. I I relate a lot to that because I I think growing up I too wanted to fit in. Yeah. And I think one one thing about wanting to fit in is that you actually put a lot of effort into understanding how things work and how people work and how and other what people like. Yeah. And yeah. that ties into comedy. Exactly. exactly right. Mm-hmm. Cause you're kind of like, it might not even be intentional. You might say something and then somebody laughs or somebody smiles. You're like, Oh y'all, y'all yeah. Like that, yeah. Huh? You caught that. And then you start, you're like, like, That's the memory. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like a trigger. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna give them some of that. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's kind of helped me develop my personality because sometimes when you might not have, because initially, let's say, you know, you're a very handsome person or you're a very just, you know, physically attractive. You might not have to do as much effort because people might just naturally gravitate to you, yeah. right? But there's something about understanding what people like that you, you start to develop that personality about you. Um, mm-hmm. So when you started figuring this out and like kind of like, oh, let me do comedy for sure. What did you realize was like your, your type of comedy? Like, did you already have an idea what your audience would be? That is still something that I'm figuring out. And I think the first few years in comedy, you do have to definitely learn to be able to play to all crowds. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean make all types of jokes. So nobody's really expecting you to go make a joke about having kids and a joke about doing drugs until 5 a.m. and a joke about airplanes or whatever. Like, people expect or they want to see, like, a linear pattern, but... You know, there's something universal in everyone. You know, does it doesn't matter if you're uh, someone who works in finance or like an architect or a coal miner in Iceland. You know, like if you can make people laugh by being yourself, you just kind of have to figure out like what the universal parts of your experiences are. And you mentioned early years of comedy. Tell us about your early years and uh, what's like one of my, your most memorable. I don't know, bombs or just that moment that <laughs> you were like, wow, I did it. Like, tell us about that. Well, my first open mic set was kind of a train wreck because I stole half of my jokes from John Mulaney, which was so cringe looking back at it. <laughs> but I did one joke about uh, the new Jurassic World movie had come out right around then. And I don't remember the exact detail of the joke, but I had done a joke about the movie and that killed. And I was just like, oh, wait, I can do this. And then like, literally that's mm -hmm. where the addiction started, you know? And then yeah. so like the con next consecutive, ugh, probably like 80, 100 open mics, I just bombed straight after. But I was like, wait, oh, but wait, but wait, I know it. I got this the first time. Like, I know it's there somewhere. Whoa, hold on. You said 80 to, <laughs> okay, by the, by the way, what, what year or time period is this? Um, this is closer to the end of 2015 slash early 2016. Got you. And how did you deal with that failure that many times that you still wanted to keep at it? Well, because the good parts are so good. You know, it's like going to a party and you remember the like, best party of your life. And then like the next parties after that are just boring and they have the worst music and the people suck. But you still keep going back when you get invited to a party. It's Kind of like that, you know? That's a great analogy. That's a great <laughs> analogy. <laughs> I remember, like, when me and my friends first kind of, like, left. Because we used to, you know, go out a lot in college. And yeah. I remember just some of the first parties that we would link up and go post-college. We were kind of like, you know, kind of like you, you're you in the party. You got your drink. You're with your boys. But, like, you're just standing around. <laughs> like, you're like, yo, y'all yeah. trying, trying to dip? <laughs> like, nothing's happening. So... <laughs> So that's, no, that, that's really cool because I think uh, kind of, I know you're going to get more into it. Sometimes when you, when you really like something, right, and you fuck up or it's hard, the fact that you still like it is what's going to keep you motivated. Because if yeah. you fuck up and you stop, then you probably didn't really like it. So I guess for you, were you like, okay, I got to figure this out and like all these failures is what's going to get me better. You know, so what did you actually change to kind of be like, yeah, no more, no more bombs? Well, I definitely wasn't that mature to be like, oh, yeah, failure is good and it's empowering. <laughs> and it's I was definitely, you know, I cried, I, I screamed, I threw tantrums. <laughs> like, it's, you know, I didn't take it well. Yeah, I was trying I to make you still... look good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> Yeah, um okay. it's still and like failure is still really hard for me to take you know but I've come to the point where I know what I need to get through it like I mentioned before I'll complain about it I'll whine about it for a bit but then the next day I get up and try it again but mm -hmm. I know I know and I'm a whiner also... so I gotta whine yeah. about it you know I know that about me yeah, yeah. at least you know yourself yeah. And uh, when you were kind of getting into this path, like, let me get let me get better at this. Did you mm -hmm. I know you say you weren't thinking too 
mature and stuff, but did you at least have an idea of what you wanted to do with comedy? Was it kind of like, oh, I want to be the sold out everywhere theaters or what was kind of your intention with it? I don't think I ever had the intention of selling out theaters and becoming a touring stand-up comedian because I was more interested in the opportunities that stand-up brought me. For example, working for a TV show is still like my ultimate goal. And stand-up helps me develop a sense of humor. It helps me get um, a network of other funny comedians and funny friends and, you know, um, just like being in that space where I get to meet people who are kind of going towards the same things as me. But that being said, I love stand-up. I just don't know if I would ever want to do more than like a 45-minute set, maybe in the future. But I I mean, I love mm-hmm. shows and I love performing, but it's not like my main thing. Mm. Yeah, and I heard you say that before on another podcast. And the first thing I thought about is that, you know, your interest or your, it seems like your main interest is TV, maybe film, maybe movies. Um, So I was kind of curious, did you ever think about like, once you started the whole comedy thing, did you ever think about like, actually, let me just go full in into the, the whole film industry education. Did you ever think about just straight up stopping comedy and just pivoting wholeheartedly into I know you're you're obviously in school for film right now, but yeah. earlier on, were you kind of like, oh, let me just go all in on this um, writing and um, early film on, stuff. I was when I started stand up, I was you know wanting to go all in on stand up, but I think it doesn't help to be a one trick pony in the industry these days. Like you should be able to do multiple things, whether it's acting or writing or stand up or social media and like all the numerous things that I do. Um, People like to see like a more well-developed person as opposed to this person has amazing stand-up, but nothing else. Yeah. So. No, that's key. Having that portfolio of your your different skills. And uh, I I noticed that when you you released uh, Paranormal Disruption, Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of curious, you know, what all went into that. Because I'm one person that whenever I see somebody create something, I'm always curious on the how. Because, yeah. you know, obviously you always see the final product, but I'm like, yo, how did she, you know, meet this person? Who was her sound person? Who edited her videos? How did they shoot this scene? Uh, so kind of like leading up to Paranormal Disruption, your comedy web series that anybody can find on YouTube. What was your inspiration and motivation behind that? Well, I wanted a web series and I had been working in uh, startups in uh, in Austin for quite some time to earn money and I just you know found the culture really funny so I wanted to make fun of it a bit but I had no idea like anything about writing scripts I didn't know what character development was or plots or anything I just like that whole web series is just vibes for me you know there's no plot just vibes hashtag But (laughs) it was uh, so much fun to make. It was my first time making something and like acting in it too. So I was, you know, kind of like head of everything, HBIC. So I started that with um, some money that I had saved up from like my corporate day jobs. And the Austin comedy community is connected to like every single other artistic community in Austin, which is really cool. So I knew a lot of filmmakers through that. And that's how I started it. Dang. So you you made all that with no prior experience in anything. Nope. Screenwriting or script writing. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it was professional. I looked at it like, okay, this is really dope. I was like, I like how she just like 
put an idea and that's really what I'm all about. I'm really, yeah. I just love when somebody just is like, man, fuck it. Let me, let me actually do it. And once you like got that experience, did it like really confirm for you, oh, this is it? And what kind of led you to, um, I guess, apply to be in, you know, film school in London? Like what from that experience led you to where you are right now? Well, I wanted to learn how to write and I really enjoyed making that series, but I didn't know much about screenwriting at all. And, you know, I realized that in order to get the jobs that I want, which is in TV writing, an ultimate goal would to be to write in something that I can star in as well. So like write my own character. I realized that mm -hmm. I have to know how to do this. And then I chose London because, um, you know, I got into a school there and I was like, when am I going to get the opportunity to come here again? And also my parents yeah. live in Germany. So I was so far away from them for so long that I was like, you know, let's be closer to them for a while. No, it's beautiful. And you mentioned your parents. I, I think I noticed this when I was watching the credits to uh, Paranormal. Mm -hmm. Did your parents executive produce that for you? Or yeah, which basically just, it basically just means they contributed money to it. I see. Okay, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. I see. Because no, I saw your last like name, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> I see your mom in this in this chair, like, actually. I know. <laughs> and, uh, I was gonna, add, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to know what has been their response to you saying, "Hey, by the way, I want to be a comedian. I want to do film." Like, how did they react to that? At first, they were a bit you know, apprehensive about it. Um, they tolerated it. They never supported it for either the first few years just mm. because they have also never been into this industry before. They had no idea what to expect of it. They know it's unstable. So they were like, you have a finance degree, like focus on that and you can do this other stuff in your spare time. But then I was mm. like, no, like I'm really committed to this. And they saw that I was really committed to this. So by the time I got to grad school, they were like, okay, like we see you put the work in and we see results yeah. come out of it. And um, most recently yeah. I actually got a job with um, a director that they know and they've seen his films. So that's the thing that like really legitimized it for them. Now they're, you know, crystal clear with it. Now they're very supportive. They want to read my scripts. And yeah, mm -hmm. so that like really... As, they were like okay i get it now yeah i think parents especially when it comes to like creative type content it's a very creative stuff isn't new right but i think in these days the fact that a lot of us are wanting to do it young and like basically right out of college it's kind of, i think yeah. it's kind of scary to some parents yeah um but you do got to put in that work to con to in a way convince them because like even if they say no, you are still going to always have that want so to stop mm -hmm. it is almost a disservice to yourself and um, I, I wanted to go back to, you mentioned the Austin uh, comedy community. And there was a well, one, I can't remember the name of the show. What was that? Actually, I just want to touch on uh, what you said about um, people in the creative industry starting young. I would almost, yeah. if I could go back and do something again, I would start now. Because when you're young, you don't really mm. know yourself that well. And there's a, I yeah. would say, much longer learning process to where you're like in your late 20s slash early 30s. I really admire the people who started comedy at that age because their mm -hmm. jokes, like even if they weren't refined because they were just starting, they 
just had a point of view. They had a sense of humor. They knew what they were about. They didn't let like failure get to them as hard as they would have when they were younger. And I always noticed that. Mm. Okay. So you're saying that if you were younger, you would have started earlier. Yeah, I would have. No, no, no. If I was younger, oh, okay, okay. I would have started later yes. and like maybe spent the first half of my 20s making money. Oh, okay. I was, yeah. I was trying to like, okay, so I see, I see. I see. No, let's go in on that. Let's go in on that because I think yeah. that's a very interesting perspective. And do you think your reason for that is because of some of the maybe financial hardship you went through at that early age? No, the reason for that is uh, more so of knowing what my voice is, because I think the first few years of comedy, I really struggled with that. And I really just, you know, kind of went down rabbit holes of anxiety and depression just because I, you know, let myself get validation from external sources like bombing at a show or like um, doing well at a show and this person likes me, that person doesn't like me, that person's going to book me, that person never wants to see my face again, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and I think a lot of that worry about what other people think of you disappears when you get older. So yeah, that was more why. Yeah. yeah I, it's funny cause I relate slash, I relate slash pushback and I want to say why I relate. I relate because you know, about a month or two ago, and I didn't even talk to a partner about this. I was very close to just straight up leaving my job for something else, not just like quitting, but like I really wanted to just change because I felt so, I felt so um, trapped and just not motivated to do anything. Like there were some days because I, I work remote, I work in IT, and like we might even have a meeting at like, let's say 8, 8 a.m., right? I wake up, I will not even want to get up and go to my computer because I was mm -hmm. just like, yo, I don't, I don't want to deal with this today. And sometimes I would have, I, I had the app that we met on, Microsoft Teams on my phone, and mm -hmm. I would just open the app and take a meeting. I'm literally in bed. Like that's how bad I've just felt about getting up. So I wanted to straight up just leave my job, right? And then for me, I, I had to get to this point of like, man, like, I feel like I'm just kind of complaining too much and I'm not making any change. And I initially thought that change was like, let me just quit my job and do this whole thing full time. And then I had to put it into perspective of what I wanted to do. I'm like, okay, what if I figure out what is the, not bare minimum, but like enough to do my job well, but how am I structuring my day that I actually have time for these other things? Like if you were to ask me, what am I doing tomorrow? And I didn't have a schedule. That's on me. Like I hadn't, prioritize myself enough to Ooh. make sure that each day was efficient you get what i'm saying Ooh, so i yeah. had to really evaluate because i thought i thought the answer was like oh let me quit my job and i'll be better but if i can't even figure out what i'm doing on friday and it's thursday then i am already struggling right yeah. so uh so that's why i relate because i think it is good to still have that financial um backing so that you have that freedom and mm -hmm. I, this, the reason i say i push back a little bit is because sometimes you never know when the right time is to start Right. So it's kind of like if somebody heard that advice and they were like, oh, yeah, let me wait till I'm 28 and then mm -hmm. I'll go full comedy. Yeah. You, you might miss that time from 23 to 28 to really grow in your in your, you know, your skills. So that's why I'm like, it's a weird it's a weird answer. You know what I'm saying? Like you never really know. 
Yeah. So that's um That's true. I mean, that, um if you're if you're yeah. 19 and you feel like you know yourself and you know your voice, then by all means, get into whatever you want to get into. Yeah. But I know I'm speaking from personal experience. For me, it took a bit longer. Yeah. And another thing I exactly. want to say is I feel like me in particular, maybe some immigrant kids as well, we kind of tend to age backwards. Like we're really responsible in our youth and our teens when we're with our parents, but then like once we have the freedom that allows us to explore our individuality more, I think we tend to like feel that youthful energy of like, oh, I can do everything. Oh my God, that that hits. You know, being yeah. you know, I really relate to that because I was just talking to somebody about how, um, you know, kind of growing up, my my parents are very just like with Nigerian household, probably similar to you, like very like, hey, engineer, doctor, lawyer, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And so my parents always were like, yeah, don't go out with your friends, you know, come home, yeah. make sure you're reading and doing all your work. And I got awesome grades. Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I did it. I killed it. But when I got to college, yo, yeah. and I had like freedom and I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, we outside. Like, yo, I was, yeah, I was yeah. turning up a little bit Going too much. crazy, yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yo, wilding out. And uh, I learned a lot about myself then because I'm like, oh shit, I need structure. Yeah, I need structure because I will fuck shit up. So it's a very yeah. I never heard it described like that. We age backwards, but yeah. I really I really like that definition. And for you, how how did that kind of come out? Was it kind of like college for you? Or was it like when you were started working? When did you like? Oh shit! Like I'm a child still. Um, I don't think it ever stopped since college, to be honest. And I don't mean that in a bad <laughs> way, but I mean yeah. that. I think like when you, you know, realize that you're doing something that you love and you're good at and you're working towards something that you actually enjoy working towards and you know who you are and you're not like really pressed about the opinions of others, I think that you can tend to, you know, it's it's like the childishness that, uh, you know, like running down the street screaming or just being silly and goofy and all, all that kind of, all that kind of yeah. stuff that comes around with um, things that we probably haven't done since we were five. And I didn't, I didn't ask in, in terms of saying like, oh, it ended at some point, but I'm glad that you said it never ended because I think we all need to yeah. keep that inner child yeah. in us because that's probably our, our truest self. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. my parents hated the fact that I wanted to do graphic design when I was younger, but yeah. now I'm here helping to graphic design my, my own podcast. Like I needed these yeah. skills to do what I'm doing yeah. now. So and it, it, it never goes away. And, you know, I do want to address some of the um, stuff that you said in that period of trying to figure out validation. You mentioned, you know, sad depression. And it reminds me of uh, the set that you did, this bit. And I'm not going to fuck it up by trying to say it uh, word for word. But generally, the, the, the joke was you were kind of walking out late and then you, you called the suicide hotline. And the joke was that, you know, while you're calling that, you see, yeah, that's a deep cut. And you were, (laughs) and while you're doing that, you're like, you're looking around, like, because obviously the setting is, you know, you're a woman walking around, it's late at night and you're on the phone with the person. You're like, hold on, somebody's following me. I'm not trying to get murdered. Ah! And that was so funny to me because I'm like, (laughs) it's it's very dark humor, but it was funny to me because in that moment you see like, oh shit, like. I want to laugh, but I also realize, like, oh, fuck, <laughs> like, she was going through some shit. And you mentioned that was based based on a true story. So, you know, yeah. however comfortable you are sharing that situation, I would just love to know more about 
that time in your life and just how you felt. Yeah. So uh, it's funny that you said the reason I said it was a deep cut is because I've only done that joke once for a mental health podcast. So I'm like surprised that you found it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that I just like really didn't have um, an internal sense of like validation. And I think that, you know, I'm still kind of working towards that in a sense. It's definitely gotten way better than it was. But I think like when you're seeking validation, especially in comedy, when there's so much failure, if you're wanting to be assured that you're good by having a good set, it's just not going to happen because you have more bad sets than you have good sets, especially when you're starting out in comedy. And I would just be broken by that because, you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist, too. So even if, you know, I got a decent amount of laughs, but like my last joke didn't hit. I would get really down on myself and be like, oh, I'm not good at this. Other people are so much better. The comparison, that was also another thing that really fucks with you. So, yeah, I did struggle with mental health, um, anxiety, depression. Um, It's funny that you mentioned the suicide hotline because every time I've called them, something funny has happened. Like one time, you know, the one that you mentioned. And then the other time I was on the phone with them and I like you know, hit the aux cord um, and it unplugs out of my car and Maroon 5 is blasting in my car, like, from the radio. And I was just, like, I couldn't hear. And I'm just like, hey, hang on. And I start to panic. And that's, that moment was so silly that I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and the person on the other line is just like, is everything okay back there? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think I'm better now. Hang up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I know it's, it's. I think what's great about those jokes was that it was real, like yeah. it was real shit. But mm-hmm. you were able to see the comedy in it, and that's why yeah. I, I'm not a comedy head. But I love when com- comedians can make us think deeper than the joke. Yeah, because to me, I'm like, yo, she's going through some real shit. But uh-huh. the fact that she's able to word it in a way that we feel comfortable laughing at her mm-hmm. pain in a way is like it's talent. Yeah. You know, so um, oh, I do, you. I do really appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I wanted to also ask, you said that you've kind of, you've gotten better, but comedy, like your, your whole job is literally validation via mm-hmm. laughter. Yeah. So how do you <laughs> even, how, how have you, how have you personally worked on not being too reliant on that, but still having the fortitude to come back and tell jokes every week or how often you do it? Well, you know, I wish I could say there was some secret formula, but there's not, you know, I also wish I could say I worked on it in therapy and got rid of that external validation need, but I still have it. So I think something that helped for me was um, during the pandemic, I got really into social media and really into other avenues of doing my comedy like TikTok. And TikTok is great because it's so you can be yourself like that platform is begging for you to be yourself. Because it's like people will, you'll find your audience no matter what on that platform. So, you know, you can be like a true crime person or like talk about fashion or talk in like a really high pitched voice. And that's your only shtick. Like there's this girl that I follow who has two million followers just from doing seagull noises that are really spot on. So... I felt like I got a lot of validation from that platform because like I would be doing jokes on there and people were liking it and sharing my stuff and, you know, it was going viral. And that kind of gave me the courage to be like, okay, you know, I can, even if my stand up isn't the best every single night, I still have 
people that think I'm funny. Like somewhere around the world, someone thinks I'm funny and laughed at a video I put out. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another yeah. reason why having different avenues like screenwriting, acting, um, podcasting, that really helps out too because you're not relying on just one thing for your happiness. And that's a good point because I was actually going to um, ask you about TikTok because I know you, you know, you'd be doing numbers on there. So shout out to you. But I also wondered, obviously, before you said that, I was, I was wondering if it was an intentional, like, uh, strategic funnel. Like, I was like, oh, okay, did she get into TikTok to be like, hey, like, I'm a comedian also. So I was wondering, like, were you thinking about the impact that TikTok could have on your comedy as well? Yeah, I was initially, but then I just, like, got roped into how fun it is to use. But, <laughs> you know, it does. Initially, I was like, okay, I'll meet people on here, and then maybe I'll get them to come out to my shows and stuff. But then... Because of the pandemic, I became way more of an online comedian and an online voice. So then I just kind of started, mm. you know, being the platform, so to speak. What was like one of your first notable um, TikToks or reels or whatever that a lot of people gravitated to or related to? Um, oh, I did a day in the life of a millennial video, but it was like really depressing you know, and it like I said uh, it in a yeah. peppy way, but I was ma basically making fun of, um, you know, the day in the life videos that people be like, I wake up and I get coffee and I do this, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I was like day in the life of the millennial. Um, every morning I'm waking up from like a nightmare from the recession and <laughs> or about the times of my or <laughs> being in a recession, or, like growing up in a recession, whatever it was. And um, yeah. then just being like, and then at the end of the day, I set my clothes on fire because a teenager made fun of them online and just pretending <laughs> to be like, yeah, I'm a millennial. This yeah. is what I do. So that one yeah, went really true. viral. And that was when I was like, okay, this is fun. <laughs> you're in your bag. Yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. Uh, what, what's great about TikTok, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit more into it now and just like put stuff without thinking too much is I love that there's so many different niches. Like exactly. people always say yeah. something talk where there's like sure. comedy talk or yeah. podcast talk or frog talk. Like Literally. it's really dope that there's people are able to find, yeah, like communities. Mm -hmm. um, but another thing that I found interesting about your TikTok is your bio is the world's 10th best Indian lesbian <laughs> comedy screenwriter. <laughs> so my first question is like, I don't, who are the first nine? Exactly. Like, you can't do what, any. What were you thinking about? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was going to ask, like, what were you thinking about when you made that your bio? You're like, okay, this, like, at what point were you like, this is what defines me? I mean, I change my bio, like, every two weeks because I think of another okay. idea. So there's not a lot of thought okay. that goes into it. Got you. Yeah, I was like, okay, this might be a deep question, but yeah. no, you nope. do it every two weeks. No, but no, I just, I, I love the uh, the openness of that. And uh, one thing that also stood out to me is I was curious to, because I, I listened to a podcast recently, um, uh, this other podcaster I listened to, and he brought a comedian on who is, you know, he's gay, right? But a lot of the questions he was asking him, kind of about the gay community and him growing up. And one of the questions that stood out to me was he asked him, do you feel that every time you go up to perform, you have to acknowledge that you're gay? And that was interesting to me because you would think that no, right? Because obviously if you have a, if you have a um, audience, then they're coming out for you. 
but he made a good point. Well, usually, you know, when I'm doing my own tour, not really. But when I have to do, let's say, um, a, a, a club or just kind of like a walk-in, I kind of have to acknowledge it. And I'm kind of curious, did you feel that there was a point in your comedy that you have to do that too? See, I don't because I don't look like a typical gay woman. But mm. women who do look typically gay, they definitely feel more mm. pressure to acknowledge. And this goes with non-binary people as well. I feel like they have to say, if they don't look like the traditional male-female binary, or I'm sure like with mm. gay men, if their voices sound gayer, then they're going to have to say something. Yeah. And I feel like that's just, mm -hmm. you know kind of that's just how it works especially in comedy like people are yeah. waiting for that um I do enjoy talking about it because um it's fun for me so usually in all my sets I talk about the fact that I'm gay but I don't have to mm -hmm. yeah I was I was curious about that because I, I don't know I just never thought about that because I think a lot of the one, one thing that he said is like, oh, I usually don't have to talk about it because I have I have gay voice. Right. And he was saying that, like, yeah. with my voice and intonation, you can you can usually tell. But yeah. it was also a part of his shtick. So it's not like he's performing or utilizing his sexuality as a joke. He was just being mm. who he was. So yeah. um, that just I don't know. I just I just never thought about it. So I was kind of curious. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you regarding you know, just comedy in general is now that you're in London, how has the adjustment been for comedy? Because I'm sure the audience is slightly different. Have you had to adjust your material or like figure out how Londoners uh, laugh or any stuff like that? Well, to be honest, I haven't really had the chance to because of COVID. So um, once I moved uh, here, I got you to do uh, October 2019. And Oof. that's when I started school, I too. See. So I wasn't doing very much stand-up when I first moved there. I did maybe three or four shows, but not more than that. And then COVID happened. And then ever since things started opening up, I just haven't had the chance to do it yet. But, you know, you. Um, yeah. I can tell you from the shows that I did that, you know, I don't think I ever changed my jokes. I think that it was still an audience thing. You know, some people got it. Some people didn't. But... Yeah. I don't have too many points to go off of. And mm -hmm. you, you, you previously said before, you mentioned how you don't like, let's say you fuck up and you, you bomb a show where you didn't do that great. Mm -hmm. You don't like blaming your audience for your failure. And I think yeah. that's a really good perspective because sometimes, you know, even me, sometimes, you know, I'll have an episode or I'll, I'll, I'll listen back to an episode like, damn, like I should have said this or I, I didn't get this many downloads. Like, oh, people just ain't fucking with it. But that's a horrible way to look at it because at the end of the day, you're the person that's creating the content. You have to serve the audience. Um, so you always have to be like, how can I do better? So like from all of your bombs and just, you know, figuring shit out, you, you, I guess you said you haven't really figured out the best way to change it, but are you starting to figure out what people really like and what, what your uh, niche slash... I guess your your best skills are um yes I am starting to figure out my niche but I think it's also like kind of a double-edged sword because if you're someone who can play to every crowd you know that's amazing and that's great but I think that some people you know the people who play to every crowd they're still very you know they have a formula they have a style even if they're not catering to everyone in the crowd. Okay, that's the difference. Playing mm -hmm. to 
the crowd versus catering. I feel like if you're pandering and you're trying to make jokes just because a specific subset of people are there, I think the audience can sniff that out mm. really quickly. But I think, you know, yeah. the successful comedians of today, they're very good at being themselves, whatever that is, to them, and then also making any crowd laugh. Got you. It's a, it's a very yeah, delicate balance. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's delicate. Kind and, of a uh, I relate to too. that from a podcasting yeah, and I relate to that from a podcasting perspective because I think when I first started, I was like, oh, my podcast is for everybody. Like, if you yeah. listen to this, like, it's for you, you yeah. know? And then I, <laughs> I, uh, I met with somebody that's, he's really big into, like, podcast growth and stuff. He was like, yo, it might not make sense, but you have to figure out one specific person. True. And when he said that to me, I was like, why? <laughs> he was like, yeah. well, think about it like this. Once you have that niche, that one person they're going to recommend it and share it with somebody mm -hmm. like them. And that in itself is yeah. like compound interest. You know what I'm saying? So you yeah, actually start to yeah. build an audience from that one person. From that one person. And I was like, God damn it. You know what I'm saying? From that one person, I was like, okay. And it just kind of changed my whole way of like curating the content or, or choosing guests. You know what I'm saying? So um, I, I think it's, it's interesting that you said, you mentioned it from a comedic point of view, because I think it's, it's very similar, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh I think we just kinda learn as we go. And yeah. uh are you in this point now, because we've been talking a lot about your comedy, but I'm I'm kinda curious about what's next for you. You know, obviously like, you know, you, you pop in on TikTok a little bit, you you doing your thing on Twitter or whatever. Have you kind of figured out like, okay, how can I one, you know, kind of generate an income stream from this? And then two, how can I now pivot into my my dream? of, you know, uh, getting into TV shows? Well, I mean, right now I'm working on um, a portfolio of scripts. So ideally, like once I have something that I'm really, really proud of and something that shows like all of my writing talents, I can start submitting that to a manager or an agent. And once, you know, I lock someone down, however long that process could take like months or years, who knows? Not years, hopefully not years. Year. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. <laughs> That's my goal. Yeah. So once I have that, <laughs> yeah. it's it's a lot easier to break into the industry and to find writing jobs. I also want to act more because I really like performing and I really want to play different characters. You know, I've played myself enough. Yeah. You did a good job, though. You did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good job. No, okay. That's that's good to know. And uh, I do I do wish you the best of luck because I, I really love people uh that just make their shit happen, you know? Yeah. So I think obviously if you keep trying, you're going to, you're going to figure it out eventually. But aside from that, like what, what would you say are your hobbies interests outside of your creative? Cause I feel like some of the stuff that you do, that's not work is actually what inspires your content. So like, you know, somebody asks you, let's, let's say we're on a first date, you know? And I'm like, Oh my God, like, what do you like to do for fun? How would you, how would you answer that? Um, my hobbies are literally socializing. Like I love hanging out with friends and I love planning events and I love like planning the hang and like, what are we going to do and all that stuff? Like literally that is my hobby. That's what I love to do outside of work. And, um, yeah, other than that, I'm like, I just started playing the guitar, but I broke my thumb. So I had to put that on pause. But yeah, uh. I mean, if I wasn't doing this, I would probably either want to be like um a little coffee shop musician which i honestly still can do or um yeah. an event planner 
<laughs> are you that person like i know you guys went to tulum recently for like the bachelorette party but like mm-hmm. are you that person when you're planning an event you're like okay 8 p.m 8 a.m well, we're doing this 9 a.m we're doing this see aparna is a better event planner than i am like she is kind of the alpha of the group in terms of event planning i and- can see that yeah, and I, I think that, that when um, someone is more motivated to plan than me, then I'm just like, all right, <laughs> I'm just going to kick back. But <laughs> when that person doesn't exist, it's me. That's dope. Yeah. And uh, you've, you've, we've kind of talked a lot about just, you know, a whole, a wide array of things that have kind of influenced you, your life. But I'm curious, do you have any, maybe any person or I guess if it's not person, maybe literature or whatever that something that you kind of go back to that's your that influences you or motivates you or inspires you? I don't think so. I think that it yeah. changes a lot. Like I'll um, really get into someone, whether it's a comedian or a filmmaker or a TikToker even, and just mm-hmm. watching their stuff will spark something in me. And usually the people yeah. that do tend to do that are people who are just like, they make their craft look so easy. Like, I think that if you go to a show or if you watch a movie and you think, oh, I can do that, that means they did a good job because it's, you know, it's in a sense, it's accessible to everyone. But it also like mm. ignited something in you. You've answered a lot of the questions I asked, kind of like how I would answer it. <laughs> I was thinking about like how I would answer that question. Yeah. And for me, I, I don't think there's just one person. Like yeah. obviously there's people that I consider really dope and I, and I want to be like. But I've realized sometimes like, uh, for example, I'm, I'm trying to be a better video editor, mm-hmm. right? And on YouTube, because of the algorithm, they'll always just kind of like pop up tutorials. Yeah. And like I start watching somebody and I'm like, oh, damn, like I like how they, they explain this to me. Let me go watch another video. So I think I've realized that it's not this one person or one motivator. It's mm-hmm. whatever that you want to learn and whoever does it whoever best for you. That. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. who you gravitate Exactly. That's where you kind of gravitate to. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely relate to your answer. And, you know, for anybody listening, I want to know if you had to say kind of one thing. Let's say nobody really wanted to watch this whole interview, right? They just kind of like said, F it, right? But you had to give one piece of advice to somebody on how to best create the life that they want to live, what would your words of advice be? My favorite one is uh, never be the one that says no to yourself. Let other people say no to you. So like, if you want to create something, don't be the one that steps in your own way, you know, do it. And then you'd be surprised how many people are okay with it and they like it. And if they're not, they're not. And I kind of take that advice in screenwriting a lot because I tend to self-edit my own thoughts a lot. So, like, I won't even write something down if it doesn't pass through my perfection filter. But that's not helping anybody. So, yeah, yeah. Let, let others say no to you. Don't say no to yourself. Ooh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. That's a very – I've never heard that one for – I really like that one. I uh, – well, that was really good. Yeah. I, I, it just made me think about the, when you said self-edit – uh, one thing I've been doing now is whenever I'm getting ready to interview somebody, right, you know, I'll start kind of like, you know, looking stuff about them up. But as, as like, for example, for you, right, as you mm-hmm. were talking on all these podcasts, like they're obviously asking you maybe not similar questions, but kind of like similar life, like what about you questions. But what I've gotten better at doing now is I'll, I'll have my phone with me 
and you you might say something or the, the host might say something and I just write that down. I'm like, oh, that ah. was interesting, right? And then kind of like the day before the interview, I'll look back at all the stuff that I wrote and I'll kind of like, like, I don't know, not organized, but I'll go through and be like, oh, she said this. That kind of like relates to when she said this about that. And I found that that's a very more um, productive than... Uh, I don't. I don't think I should ask her that. They ask her that, or I yeah. shouldn't, because I think it's like you learn so much from people that you can kind of take it to another level in terms of like not the basic question. So, um, I, I, that words of advice is uh, that was deep. I really like that. So, um, I do want to well, thank you. You know, once again for coming on. I know it's uh, yeah. What time you. is it over there again? It's only eight. In the evening. Okay, so it's not yeah. too bad, but it's not that bad. Yeah, I know. It's a, I didn't want to keep you up too late, but no, I really appreciate you for coming on and you know being, you know, strong enough to share your story and just be real with us. And you know, I also want to um, just assure you that I think you know you're killing it, you're doing it, and I'm really glad that you're able to you know overcome you. any of the whatever stuff that you may be going through and understand that you know it's bigger things for you. So I'm really uh, glad that you were willing to share that because that's a it's a sensitive thing, but I think uh, with comedians, they do a good job at, at talking about sensitive things. So yeah. um, I hope to expect a lot more uh, funny deep cuts from you yes. in the future. And we'll, keep, <laughs> and we'll keep in touch. But to anybody listening, always remember to stay creative. Thank you guys for tuning in to that creative conversation. I hope it was able to inspire you. And if you'd like to continue getting inspired, there's actually three main ways you guys can do that. One, you can actually watch all the YouTube videos. Uh, that's the full length episodes and also clips just to get a little preview about what each episode might be about. Two, you guys can actually listen on all podcasting platforms, which is Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Please feel free to leave a rating or review. Just help me out and also get the word of mouth out there. Three, let's actually subscribe to the Paul and Pals newsletter, which is basically a written summary of each episode in addition to my takeaway. So that I kind of give what the episode made me think about, what I got from it. Link in the description and show notes. But without further ado, always remember to stay creative.